Good morning. I want to start by saying that we should never, ever, ever, ever stop turning to God, crying out to Him, right? We turn and we repent again. We need to keep crying out. Sometimes we don't cry out because we're filled with condemnation, we're filled with the battle, we're filled with life itself. But do you know he loves when his children cry out to him? He's never weary with us. It's like the annoying child that's always asking for something, asking for money, always going to your parent. You're always helping that same child over and over and over again. But do you ever say no? Most of the time you reach to them, you give them what they need, unless they're asking for you know wrong reasons. But as parents, we give all the time. And the Father in heaven, who loves us enough to give his life for us, wants us to keep crying out yes. to him, keep going to him, keep seeking him, even when you don't understand. Keep going to him, talking to him, fellowshipping with him, because he's the kind of God, he's creating universes, he's doing big and mighty things, but as soon as you cry out, he stops to listen to you. And I want to say to Annie, in case I forget at the end, she actually started the, uh, today with the scripture I'm going to end with. So thank you for that. <laughs> Um, I was thinking this morning, I was in a hurry, and I thought of that scripture, and I went to write it down. I go, I know it's in Jeremiah, not exactly sure where. I go, well, that's okay, I'll read Psalm 1 first, it's kind of similar. And then uh, Annie gave me, because the Spirit of God is with us, right? So I'm hoping today, to get right into it, I'm hoping that we, to really just encourage everyone here today, and I hope I can do it as well as he gave it to me. I hope I can relate and speak it to you. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you that you love us, that you're our Father. We cry out to you. You never turn away. And, Lord, we take the opportunity right now, Father. I stand here in your presence. And I thank you, Lord. Your word says if I open my mouth wide, you'd fill it. It's not me. It's your word. And I ask, Father, the hearts and the minds of your people be open. I pray, Lord God, that your word will have full effect. You watch over your word. You perform it in all of us. But your heart today is to encourage and also to challenge us, Father, to believe you more. But I pray, Lord, not one person here would leave doubting that you are moving and working on their behalf. So... The Lord gave me a word in prayer, but I, you have to get through two pages of something else before I get to it, of course, uh, but I will be quick. Okay, so I want to start by saying, uh, don't let your soul be discouraged. How many times we get discouraged? We get disappointed. Uh, we don't understand what's going on. And in light of what I want to speak today is do not be discouraged your God is on the way. He will run. He will knock down mountains. He's doing everything he can. He's doing everything. I don't mean to say he can. He can do everything. He's doing everything for you. He's doing, he's moving on your behalf. We just don't see it. We have to be people that see it to believe it, right? But in the kingdom of God, it's not that way. You don't see it. You just believe it and it manifests itself, right? So do not let your soul bring discouragement because it does not see the hand of God working. Do not let your physical eyes determine the outcome of your prayers. There's a time of dormancy when we see and feel nothing, but that does not determine the actions of our king. He is always, always working on our behalf. I've been listening to a song over and over and over, and I, and I texted to poor TJ. He probably thought he had to get it together and play it today. Um, it would have been a great miracle if he could have, but I knew that you know, it wouldn't happen. But I can't sing, but in the, in the song, it just says, it just talks about how mighty he is. It talks over and over about how he is the way maker, the miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's who our God is. He is all those things. And even when we don't see him working, even when we don't see it, he is the miracle worker. 
He wants us to hold on to that no matter what. He is so pleased when his children trust in him. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is saying, as a deer pants for the water, my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? He's not saying, when am I going to die? He's saying, when am I going to see you working on my behalf? When am I going to be in your, in your presence and see the working of your miracle? When is that going to happen? It's been so long. And then he says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So not only is he going through a hard time, but all the sisters and the brothers in the house are saying, where's God? All his friends, all his coworkers, where is he? Is he going to move on your behalf? Adding to his discouragement. That's why I always say, get around somebody who will believe. Somebody who is, I don't know much. I'm not the smartest person in the world. My husband can tell you that. But I know one thing. I know that God is for us, and he is not against us. So things, he says, things I remember, I pour out my soul within me. And then he goes again in verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For he is the help of my presence. His presence is my help. His nearness is my good. And down in verse 80, he says again, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer of God, a prayer to God of my life. And he starts to come out of it a little bit. He starts to come out of his despair a little bit, but then he goes right back into it where he says, why are you in despair on my soul? And then he ends by saying, why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, I will praise him again the help of my countenance and my God. So here's a psalmist just like we are. We go through a hard time and we're saying, where are you? When are you going to come through? Don't you see what happened? Don't you see the, the devastation? And all of those answers aren't always answered right, right away, are they? We have to keep walking with him. We have to keep seeking him. Don't turn away from him. He's your life source. You have to keep going. He starts to uncover. He starts to reveal what was hidden in the darkness. He starts to reveal the purpose for all that pain, right? So when our soul gives over to discouragement or despair, it blinds us from seeing him. It blinds us from hope, and it deafens us from remembering all that he has done and he's able to do. You know, we all have many, many testimonies in this house, all of us. And But what's, for some reason, when you're going through a hard time, you can't remember one of them, you know? Um, I was thinking as we were singing that song, uh, Rooftops, I think that's what it's called, right? Where he says, um, uh, cry it out on the rooftops, I will proclaim your name. I remember when I was praying for my dad years ago to, uh, to live and not die, but he died. Uh, it was a really hard time for me, but I heard the voice of the Lord in that time. And there's a scripture, in the, and it was, so it was a dark time for me. And the Lord said to me in the scriptures, what you have heard, because I heard his voice. I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time in my life, even as being a believer. And he says, what you've heard in the darkness, proclaim from the rooftops. So in a dark season, we do hear God. He does whisper hope to us. He does give us gems. He does give us lifelines. We have to hold on to those things. And if you want to keep going strong, then you keep proclaiming what you heard in the dark. He will speak to you in the dark. I think that's very, very encouraging. Excuse me, my mouth gets dry. So remember his faithfulness, who promises he will do it. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Sometimes that's all you have to know. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how it's going to end, but I know he knows. I know he's faithful. He just doesn't wish to share that with me right now. He's just saying, Jeannie, hold on, right? He's saying, Adam, hold on. Whatever, you're, whatever is loosening your hold, just grip me again. 
Isaiah 28 says in 16 says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice cornerstone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now we can take that and say, well, that's not true. I've been disappointed many times, devastated and disappointed. But it doesn't mean that you won't experience the emotion of discouragement or disappointed. It means the end result of your situation will not leave you disappointed or, or discouraged. It actually leaves you built up. You went through hell and back. Why? So that you can help somebody else, right? Didn't Paul say that? You know, comfort those with the comfort that you've been comforted with, right? We've all been through stuff. So you need to comfort somebody else is going through that trial. And guess what? You're going to be a, a life source, a vessel to speak to because God built something in you. But when it's happening, it doesn't feel good, I understand. But the end result, you will not be discouraged. The end of your trial, the battle within and without will not leave you shaken, disturbed, or disappointed. You still might have some questions, but don't worry about that. He eventually answers them all. Actually, instead of discouragement, you gain courage. Discouragement has been dissed. And I thought, that is so awesome. You can be discouraged or you can be filled with courage. You start discouraged, but he fills you with courage. We will not say ever, anyone in this house, of the Lord that he has not come through for us. We will never say that he's left us, he's failed us, he's abandoned us. Nobody here can ever say that. In the darkest times, even though we doubt his faithfulness, he's there. He says he'll never leave us the same as he found us. Thank God. Did you ever run into somebody from high school and they remember you and you haven't seen them and like, you know, that was before Christ and you see them after Christ and, and uh, they go, oh, I remember you in high school. Remember where? And I'm like, you know, I, let's, let me just walk away. That person you knew does not exist anymore, right? That person has died a long time ago. Don't be telling people those stories. So we are being fashioned. We're being fashioned in his image, in the likeness of God. I was thinking how I love how sometimes Tamisha and Gavin wear the same colors. Did you ever notice that sometimes? Like they'll have like, she'll have like a blue shirt on, he'll put a blue jacket on. He, you know, I just like how they do that. They start to, they like start to look alike. The two shall be one, right? And you start to represent each other. And I just like it. I just think it looks really cool. But I know my husband would never do that. If he sees me with a, a blue shirt on, he's going to go change. <laughs> and we all know that's true, right? <laughs> But the truth is, in the kingdom, they are a good example of the kingdom, how we're married to Jesus Christ. We become like him, we reflect him, we look like him. But guess what? That doesn't happen unless we go through some stuff, right? So disappointment and discouragement can make us quit on the inside. We can feel unsettled, doubtful. We settle for less. It's a tactic of the enemy. He just wants you to stop. He wants to quiet your voice. But the Spirit of God wants us to know and remember the power and faithfulness of his covenant. Remember, go home and listen to this song, The Waymaker. It's 11 minutes long. But it's over and over. It says the same thing. He's the waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. We should be professing that, right? You are the waymaker. You are the miracle worker. You are the promise keeper. You are the light in my darkness. That's who you are, right? And so when you start talking like that, the heaviness starts to, to go. People don't even know you're in torment. You're going through a hard time, right? They're just drawn to his light. If you put your trust and faith in any pers person, establishment, finances, you will be always disappointed. If you put your trust and faith in yourself and your goodness and your strength, you'll always be disappointed. But if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this rock, this cornerstone, you will never, ever be disappointed. Just wait it out because it's coming through. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I have to say that, uh, that hymn, that old hymn every time. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, right? No other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. So we have to understand that he is who he says he is. The word of God causes us to believe in dark times. Isn't that amazing? That you can get something from him in a dark time. And as you speak about it, you know, I remember Annie just recently came into the store and she goes, I think I had a vision. I'm not really sure. I won't go through the whole thing. But as she shared it, I thought, are you crazy? Of course that was a vision. It was awesome. It was mighty. It was powerful. You know, God just spoke to her. I go, I go, Annie, God spoke to you. Hold on to that. Um, and hope she'll, she'll share it with us. It was powerful. So the word of God causes us to believe in dark times, difficult times, and unchanging times, meaning we say nothing's ever going to change. You know, my son will never be healed. My child will never believe in Jesus. I'll never find a job. I'll never get out of this rut. See, we think nothing's ever going to change, but that's not true. His word keeps us when everything lies dormant. And I'm getting to the word I want to talk about. When we cannot see, when there isn't any evidence of our prayers being answered, when there isn't any sense of change, visibly or audibly, his word, which carries covenant power, will give us strength in our inner man. Isn't it true? It's so true. Paul says, um, he cried out to the Lord, and he said, remove this trial, basically, he was saying. And God said what? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because his grace isn't just a word. It's a tangible presence. It's a tangible substance from the throne of grace to give us empowerment to continue to walk day after day after day till we see the completion of what he was doing. Jesus lives in Hebrews 7, 24, 25. It says, Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever. Think about that. He's our high priest that lasts forever. And he, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who came to God through him. He lives forever. My version says he lives forever to make intercession for us. The reason he lives is to pray for us. You don't have a prayer partner. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody's praying for you. Guess what? Jesus never stopped. He never stopped. He never, 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 never stopped. And he never will. So a couple weeks ago, I was um, praying for, Adam asked me a while ago, and I was a little slacked about seeking the Lord about um, today. Um, it's easy for him. He just keeps getting up and, you know, whatever, and preaching. But sometimes, you know, the word just comes to him, but I have to really seek the Lord. Lord, what do you want to say to your people, right? Uh, we can say many things, and, and we can say many things. The word is filled with many good truths. But I asked him, and I, I just wanted to see and know and, and bring something from his throne, so I was, as I was in prayer asking him, for, for all of you and also for myself, I had this tiny, tiny little picture, and I don't like to call it a vision, but it was a picture in my mind, something I wouldn't see. And I saw this tiny little seed that started to come out the top. You know, there's a covering on the seed. And this little branch started to come out. And I saw it was green. And then I heard the word germinate. Well, I don't know about all of you. I'm not really much of a botanist or anything like that, but I knew it had something to do with plants. And so I went and I looked up the word to give the right definition, which I will. And, um, and so what the Lord was telling me to share with you today, I'll go through right now, but he was saying, there has been a time of dormancy, things that we're believing for, things we're waiting for. But he's saying that seed is coming up out of the ground. Yes. That seed is coming up and it's germinating and it's not going to stop. I'm going to bring life. I'm going to bring hope. I'm going to bring restoration. Isn't that awesome? And so that's really all he gave me. And I go, well, I could just say that and sit right down, right? 
but I want to put some scriptures around it. Because sometimes he gives you something and you can feel his presence, you can feel his power. You don't know how to relay that to everybody else. And you want to be able to, to have everybody leave encouraged and challenged also. Not just encouraged, but challenged to believe him more. Right? We always should be challenged to believe him more. So a seed is planted in the ground. It's placed and then covered with soil and it lies dormant, unseen, forgotten sometimes by us, but never forgotten by God. In Luke 8, there's a parable of the sower, and Jesus explains that the seed is the word of God, planted in the hearts of men. The sower is the one testifying, teaching, preaching, spreading, and throwing the seeds. We're all sowers. If you're a mom and dad and you're sharing Jesus with your, with your family, they see you going to church and you read one word, you're praying for them. You might not even say anything to them. You're praying for your family. You are scattering seeds into the hearts, into the soil of their hearts. You don't realize what you can't see. Something's really happening. You're praying for them. A seed is going in and God's watching over it to perform it. So whenever you're talking about Jesus, about his kingdom, his ways, you're throwing seeds into people's hearts. Whenever you stand praying for your unsaved family, your unsaved friends, you are planting seeds. Whenever you're praying and declaring God's word over your home, your physical health, or your unsaved relatives and friends, you're scattering seeds in their hearts and their minds. But we need to understand the power of speaking those words, that something is happening in the unseen realm. I won't get through that all right now. We did a thing about blessing, right? Nurse Spock. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. I won't go through that one right now. But it's important to speak blessings and not curses. We, we need to speak the word of God because the word of God brings life, right? We have to stop speaking the negative and we have to start speaking the power of his word over the things that we're believing for. So I want to encourage us here today that there is life coming, there's healing coming, there's restoration coming because God saves and it's a time of germination. Germinate means to begin to grow or develop. See, because sometimes we think nothing's going to change, but there is change. You ever look at your children? One, you know, they go to bed at, you know, they're four years old and their hands are tiny and they're all cute. And the next day they wake up and their hands have got bigger and chubbier and their legs grew long. And I'm like, what happened? How does that happen? They're developing. Can you see them develop? No. You can see them after the process, but we don't see the process, right? So dormant. Germination begins to grow and develop. Germination is the budding of a seed after it has been planted in the soil and remained dormant for a certain period of time. And that's what the Spirit of God wants us to know today. There are things that have laid dormant for a period of time, and we get discouraged. Are you going to heal me? Is there any hope, right? You know, is there going to be an answer? Is there going to be a release? Am I going to change? Can I ever serve you like the way I want to serve you? Actually, when I was praying that day, I said, Lord, let me hear you more. Let me understand. You know, break the hard shell of my head. I wasn't even thinking about a seed. And that's when I saw the seed crack open. I just saw the seed crack open and I thought, he is going to do what he wants to do in my life as long as I yield to him. Right? So germination, it's when it starts to come up and the dormant time has ended. Dormant means lying asleep as if asleep, inactive, or, or asleep. But a botanist would describe it as temporarily inactive. And I like that, because the seed in the ground is going to come up. I remember there was a pastor years ago. She said she was so impatient that she would plant seeds in the ground to have a garden, and she'd go and look, and nothing was happening. And she'd go back out and look, and nothing was happening. She'd go out and look, and nothing was happening. By day three, she went out and dug it up to make sure the seed was still in there, and the bird didn't get it. Right? So we don't want to keep digging things up. The thing has to be left in the ground and trust God that he's taking care of that seed. Right? So it's temporarily inactive. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.18 says we don't lose heart because we don't look at the things that we see. We think because they're only temporary. We look at the things that we don't see because they are eternal life. Something's happening under the ground. Something's happening in your life. A seed is basically a copy of the plant that it came from. Genetically, it has all the information needed to grow into a complete plant. It is all found in that one seed. The seed actually contains an embryo. I looked this up. It was kind of fun. I, I did the kids' channel, though, so I could understand it. Um, so the seed contains an embryo, a food storage, and an outer casing to protect it. Too much light and too much water all at one time will destroy it. So it has to stay in the, in the ground. Uh, if there's too much light, the, the seed actually feeds from the soil. And if there's too much light, that the minerals and the nutrients in the ground won't be as good as they could. It has to be in the dark. So um, God, God's creation is so powerful that he gave us this picture to show us today what he's doing in our life. See, that's what's happening in the natural, but something's happening in the spiritual that I really want us to get today. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what would happen if you planted a seed upside down. Well, you know, Google, you can find anything, right? Somebody asked that question. And the truth is, even if you did it wrong and you planted the seed wrong, like you raised your children wrong, you did everything wrong, you, you know, everything you did was wrong, and you're like, you know, God, is there any hope for me? That seed thrown in upside down actually turns itself around because of the gravitational pull, and the roots go down and the sprout comes up, right? Isn't that awesome? So God is saying, listen, even if you didn't do it right, Jeannie, even if you don't get it right, I, I can pull it around by the power of my spirit. I thought that was really awesome. So how powerful is our God? He's saying your prayers are seeds in the garden of the Lord, and they may seem dormant to you, but I am actively, faithfully taking care of what you have planted and what you have watered. Remember, Paul said, one man plants and another waters, but I cause the growth. He's the keeper of the seed. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep speaking his word over those um, that you're praying for. Keep believing that doubt's going to go, sickness is going to go, addiction is going gonna, is gonna to go. Keep doing that because the seed is starting to come forth. His word in our mouth is like missiles. That's what he showed me. Really, the word of God in our mouth as we speak it and as we pray, it's like an atomic bomb. It destroys what it needs to destroy, except his word keeps alive what needs to stay alive. It's powerful. And if we could see every time we speak a blessing over somebody, every time we speak life over somebody, every time we're praying in our prayer class and say, Lord, let my son know you. Let his heart change. Let it turn. Let it be warm towards you. Something's happening. He goes and does that. He actually does it. And all of a sudden, like five years down the road, maybe your, your child comes to you and says, you know, I just came from a church service or I was just on, I was just driving down the road and I just gave my heart to Jesus. I don't you know, it just happened. It didn't just happen. It was, it was being fed in the soil. And the, the words that you spoke, the prayers that you prayed, was bringing it to life. He's so good to us. So, so the seed is starting to sprout. Life is coming forth by his spirit, bringing it to life. Do not doubt or do not, and do not forget that he is the Lord. We need to remind, remember, no, it's my writing, sorry. We need to be reminded because sometimes those seeds are dormant for a long time. You know, they found seeds in, in uh, tombs and things, and they can actually, like decades old, thousands of years old, more than decades, obviously, if it's in a tomb. <laughs> but they we find them in our drawer, maybe decades old, and they're still good seeds. But you can go, into, you can go to Egypt, and they find these seeds, and they put in good soil. Guess what? They've got, they got plant life from like 4,000 years ago. It's amazing. God created that thing. He created it well, and he created us well. So we need to be reminded that sometimes it's, it's a long time of dormancy 
And sometimes there's an onslaught, but we cannot forget that God's merciful and he's always working behind the scenes on our behalf and it is going to sprout. You will experience life. And I just want to use two quick examples of people that can, well, people from the word of God that knew the Lord, loved the Lord, walked with the Lord, handled him, touched him. You know, they, they were able to, they were in the midst of miracles. They knew him and still they doubted. So there's hope for us. In John 11, I won't read the whole thing, but if you put it up there, I'm going to just uh, read certain scriptures. I want to look at Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. They all lived together, brothers, two sisters and a brother. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, and he was only 30 miles away, by the way, wasn't too far. They sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. But Jesus heard this and he said, the sickness is not unto death. He said it to his disciples with him. But this sickness is to glorify the Lord. He already knew what was going to happen. He knew, he knew. Mary and Martha didn't know, you see. But behind the signs, behind the scenes, Jesus Christ knew. He knew what he was going to do. But Martha and Mary didn't know. So the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Actually, he hung out at their house. You know, this is, these are the kinds of people Jesus hangs out with. That's why I love him. That's why there's hope for us, right? I mean, Lazarus was a beggar. You know, Mary, she, who knows what she did, but she sinned much, it said, right? And that's why she loved him much, because she sinned much. He changed their lives, and he kept fellowshipping with them. So he loved them very much. And verse 6 says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in that place. Don't you feel like that sometimes? You're saying, Lord, can you help me? I'm your child. You love me. You're with me. And he says, yeah. And then he stays two days longer. You know, you think it's imminent. I need you now. Get rid of this pain now, right? Get rid of what I'm going through now. And he says, it's for the glory of God. And he lingers instead. He stays two days longer, maybe two months, maybe two years. But sometimes he does that. We need to understand he still loved them. He was still pursuing them. He was still coming after them. So the Lord's delay was to show his power, but they couldn't see that. They lost their faith and their zeal for his power. Martha, in verse 20, it says, Martha, therefore, when she heard that he was finally coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. I just thought that was amazing because Mary's the one that sat at his feet. Remember, Martha was saying, will you get Mary to help me? But Mary sat at his feet. She was with him. She didn't want to leave him. Every word he said, she just loved him. She was with him all the time in the midst of everything. She knew he was coming. They were poor. It wasn't a big house. It wasn't like she was on the third floor and didn't know he was coming. It says, Mary stayed at the house. But Martha went out to meet him. So Mary was discouraged. We do become discouraged. Her brother had just died, right? So the one who didn't, the one who didn't even uh, help Martha because Jesus was in the house, she sat at his feet and listened. She once was at the home of Pharisee and she actually poured water on his feet with her tears and she wiped them and she poured perfume on them. The one who, who loved him much because she was forgiven much. She was a disciple and a friend. She saw blind eyes open, the lame healed. She was in the midst of many miracles, but now confused, discouraged, and frustrated by his delay, she doesn't leave the house and run to him as she would have because grief had overtaken her. She lost that hope. She lost that promise. We've all been there. 
So Martha said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, and see, that's what happens. We become discouraged. We're like, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't be happening. If you had been here, there would have been something different would have happened. If you had been here, we wouldn't be going through this grief right now. I thought you loved us, but apparently you don't. There had to be that feeling inside of them because otherwise, why would they ever doubt the one that they walked with? He said, she says, my brother would not have died, but now I know whatever you ask of God, he'll give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha wasn't getting it. She said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. But I, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he'll live again. And so Jesus is saying, we all need to know, like Lazarus was raised. Some people aren't raised up, but you know what? They're alive. There is life after death. Jesus says, if they die here and I resurrect them, or if they die and they're in the resurrection, they are alive. They are in heaven. They are worshiping. Lazarus is with my father, basically, right? He was in the tomb four days. He was with his father. So he, she goes, do you, he says, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God that has come into the world. So verse 22, when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here. She goes and she kind of manipulates it because he didn't say, go get Mar Mar uh, Mary. I'm here. I want to talk to her. But she goes, the, she wants to get Mary out of her, out of her slump and out of his, her discouragement. I think what she did was really good. She goes, he's asking for you. So Mary gets up and she runs to him. The teacher's calling for you. So she heard it and she got up. In verse 30, now Jesus had not come yet into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, so um, when they saw Mary get up quickly, they went out and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Um, some of the translations rightly say he was angry. He wasn't troubled because somebody had died. He wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead. He wasn't even weeping because they were going through a hard time. He was weeping because they knew him. They touched him. They handled him. He was grieved in his spirit. That kind of anger, not anger at them where he was disappointed with them and was going to walk away, but he was, he was troubled that they didn't believe him. He was just troubled after all this time. Do you not believe us? And we were all like that. We believe him. We believe him. And then, whoops, we slip a little. We believed you. Doesn't How many times does the Lord say to you and me, did I not say, right? Didn't I say in my word, I'm with you? Didn't I say I will help you? Didn't I say I'd strengthen you? So they're going through the same thing as we do. So he says, where have you laid him? He just gets down to business. And Martha says to him, it's been four days now. There's going to be a stench. I just think that's crazy because now she's seeing that he's going to do something and she's still looking in the natural. She's still seeing in the natural. He's, he's going to stink when that, when that stone is rolled away. He's going to stink. And I wonder if Jesus was like, what? You know, but he's so merciful to us. And his response says, did I not say, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Didn't I say that? So behind the scenes, here's Lazarus. He's with the father. He's spending four days in glory and Jesus has to call him back. <laughs> Poor Lazarus. He has the raw deal, I think. Mary and Martha, friends of Christ, witnesses of his power and glory, touched him, listened at his feet, could not see the seed that was about to germinate. They didn't know that what they could, they didn't know what they could, they, I'm sorry, they didn't know that what they could see, the death, the delay, was all a part of a greater plan for resurrection life. The seedling was coming out of the soil, and the force behind it was El Shaddai, God of all power, God of all might, God of all strength, El. Right? We too say, Lord, if you had been here, 
not realizing he was working behind the scenes, waiting for, for death so he could bring resurrection life. Resurrection life. I remember when my friend was dying of cancer, I really believed that the Lord was going to heal her. And she would say to me all the time, if I have to die, then my husband is saved. And she'd name all these people who are saved. She goes, I would do it. I would yell at her. I go, what do you mean? You don't have to die for that. Jesus Christ did it already. Well, she did pass away. And after she passed away, her husband got saved. He built, a, he, built, um, he built something in the church for people to teach. Before that, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing. He would harass her. He would hound her. He wanted nothing to do with him. But she was taken, and God gave her life. She's alive today, and the seeds that she planted are still alive today. Life came out of death. It always does. One way or the other, life comes out of death. So... Look at John the Baptist. This is my favorite. He's a prophet. He's a forerunner, focused on his mission. John the Baptist did not be, he never played around. I wish I could be like him, but his diet freaks me out a little bit. Locusts and, and camel hair clothes and stuff. But he was so focused, right? He was constantly, he was a forerunner. He was saying, the one who comes, he's going to bring you life. He was constantly the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He goes, I'm just the forerunner. I have to become less and he has to become more. He's going to take away the sins of the world. And he never wavered from that. You never really hear about John because he was always in the wilderness, right? He just hung out as a crazy person. We would think he's crazy today, right? I probably just, people just like it said, they would just go out to look at him. You know, what's this dude doing, right? So he's out there and he's doing his job. They asked him and said, um, John 1, 25. They asked him and said to him, when, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ and you're not Elijah and you're not a prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one who you do not know. It is he who comes after me that his sandals I can't even untie. I'm not worthy. These things took place in Bethany, but on the Jordan. I wrote that so you could see. He professed who Jesus Christ was, right? He knew him. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him to the water for baptism. And it's in, and instantly he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Right out in front of everybody, the first time he saw him, and the reason he knew that it was him is because it says, um, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. He existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John said, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, when you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, you'll know that this is the one. He, gave, he got a sign from his Father. When Jesus comes to the water, you'll know who the Messiah is because the Spirit is going to land on him. And he sees that with his eyes. He says, I myself has, have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Great testimony. So now Matthew 11, 2 through 6, it, now he's in prison, and he's having a few doubts. It says, John, while imprisoned, heard the works of Christ. He heard what was happening, and he sent word by his disciples, and he said, go and find out, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? See what a hard time does to us? We don't see anymore. We don't understand. He's in prison. He's not doing anything. He's in a dormant stage. He's not out baptizing. He's not, out, he's not being a forerunner. He's not doing what he used to do. And in that place of dormancy, he has doubts in his heart, and he goes, is he really the one? Have I run in vain? Have I been a forerunner for, a, for the wrong Messiah? See how it can happen? But he says, they asked Jesus, and Jesus says, you go tell John 
what you hear and you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense or stumble because of me. He quotes the Old Testament, which John would know, and he, and he proclaims that these signs are actually happening so that John would know you haven't really, he was saying to John, listen, I don't want you to be upset. You have not run in vain. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Have I taught my children in vain? Have I done it right? Was I doing the wrong thing? Uh, should I have been doing this? Was I doing this right? Was I doing that right? And we think, you know, are you the one? Have I been really preaching the right, right Messiah? Are you truly the one? So he's dormant in prison. He's not free to do what he wants. And he's really concerned about what did he, did he give his life for the right thing? At the end of the race, he's doubting. So maybe he was saying, have I run this race in vain? Was there another? I need to know if the seeds I have planted, the words I proclaimed were fruitful seeds that will cause others to follow Messiah, right? And so Jesus pretty much said to him, the Lord was saying to him, John, don't stumble over me. Don't think because you are in prison that you ran this race in vain. You gave your life, your prayers, your life's energy for my kingdom, and you will be rewarded. The seedlings are sprouting. And who were some of Jesus's disciples? They came from John right? John poured into them, and they went and followed Christ. So he did not run in vain, but we can become discouraged when we look at the outer situations that are going on, and the Lord wants us to know a germination process is coming. We can be like Martha who said, Lord, if you had been here, or like Mary said, if you had been here, he would not have died. Why didn't you come immediately? We can say like John, are you really the one? Have I wasted my energy? Have I fulfilled my call? Are you the true Messiah? Jesus are you the one? The Lord is giving us a picture through creation naturally, a natural life situation to grab hold of his promises. The seed is breaking out of dormancy. The life is coming forth. So don't quit now and don't stop praying. Don't stop declaring his power and don't start, stop believing. Because even though it's a dark time or you can't, if it's a dark time for you or you're going through a hard time or there's situations that are not changing, there will be life produced. Don't give up. Jesus, he said, roll the stone away in Martha and Mary. Martha said, Lord, by this time there's going to be a smell. There, and she really was saying in resurrection life, is there really any resurrection life? But he's saying, please don't give up now. But there is resurrection life. Jesus says, Martha, did I not say if you believe you'll see the glory of God? And that's what he says to us. Just keep believing. You're going to see the glory of God. I'm going to take care of you. Am I going to let go of you now? You are under the everlasting arms. I thought to myself, what does that mean, the everlasting arms? I just looked it up, and, and it, uh, Moses in, in uh, Deuteronomy, he gives a blessing to the tribes before he dies. His last words, I think last words are important, don't you? And he gives a blessing to all the tribes. And then he says, he goes, the Lord your God is with you, and you are forever under the everlasting arms. He says he's in the heaven fighting for you, and he's under the everlasting arms. It's a picture of you're totally encircled by him. You're totally protected by him. He has you above, and he has you beneath there's no way you can get out of his hands. If you're in the dirt upside down, he's going to turn the seat around. See, there's no way to get out of his hands. There's no way he's not, there is no way that you're not getting out of this the same way you came in, right? That's worth really shouting about if I was a shouting person. Amen. So Jesus says to Martha, keep believing. Lazarus is with my, where you can't see right now is Lazarus is in heaven. He's in the throne room with my father, and he's going to declare my glory when I bring him back. John questions his lifetime call. Did I labor in vain? And Jesus says, the work you have done is going on. Your disciples have become my disciples. The gospel will continue to be preached. I am the expected one. So the Lord wants to encourage us today that even when it seems like a long season, when you have given everything, when it feels 
And when it feels like you are that seed in the ground waiting to bring up, sprout out of the darkness, out of sickness, out of death, out of poverty, you're looking for Christ in your home, the hearts of your children, you see nothing. Do not be deceived that the seed is not coming to the surface because it is. Dormancy is ending and something's changing. The Lord has heard your prayers and germination has taken place. You just can't see it. But you go out every day and you look for that seed in the ground. You expect it to come. It is coming. The seed is coming to life. The seed sits in the soil and it's nourished by the soil and the food storage within it. I think it's amazing that God made this little seed. The embryo in it looks exactly like the, the plant that it's going to become. We are to become just like Jesus Christ when we come out. There's three things in it. There's a surrounding coating, there's the embryo, and there's a food storage. I, was, I thought that was amazing when I read that. I thought, like, God is a prepper, right? He's got, he's got a food storage for this little seed. I think just in case it goes into the ground where the dirt's not that well, there's still hope for this little thing to come up, right? There's a food storage there. So the seed, the seed sits in the ground nourished by the soil and by its own food storage within. His word, his presence is our, sore, our soil sorry, and our food storage. His word. Food storage within the seed. Remember, Jesus says, I have manna to eat that you don't even know about, right? So during a hard time and a dark time, sometimes you can't even pick up the word and read. I know there's times I haven't been able to. But inside, I say, God, you know, just speak to me, speak to me. And just a little word starts rising up. Don't tell. Didn't I say I'd be with you, right? The sickness is not unto death. He does all these things. Just a tiny little ray of hope when you have to hold on to it. It's his voice. That's the food storage he's given you. Food that others don't know of. Food storage within the seed, manna that others don't see. The seed waits in the dark. Seeds often grow faster in the dark, protected from too much light. It'll kill the soil and the minerals in them. We gain strength by waiting in the Lord, waiting on the Lord. The seed is in the ground and it's in the dark. We become strong. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up, they'll run. They are going not to be weary, but they're going to run the race to the end, no matter how you feel. You feel dead, but he says, no, you're really alive, right? You just keep waiting on him. When you're nourished in the dark, a testimony builds. You wait on him, depend on him, lean on him. And when the life-changing answer comes, you sound it out to everyone to hear. And you start to sound like him because he says, I'm the Christ. And you start saying, he's the Christ, right? He says, I'm the great I am. And you go, he is the great I am, right? Because you know it, it comes alive in you. So when it happens, you come out of it quite differently and you declare that he's the great I am. He can do all things. He's the resurrected Christ. And the embryo becomes the plant that it looks like. We start to look like Jesus Christ, some of us without the beard. So the dark, the weight has been good for us. Paul says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who has delivered us before, and he will yet deliver me. A sentence of death feels like you'll never coming out of this pit. But I'm going to tell you right now, you will come out of the pit by his grace, by his glory, by his great power. The seed is coming forth. All this is happening under the soil. You just can't see it. The sprout begins to push up. When that sprout, there's more. When the sprout finally starts to come up like this, to another thing happens even greater. The roots start to go down, and it goes down deep. So it starts to turn like this. I saw in the little kids' video. It was really cool. 
So it goes like this, and the sprout comes up, and then all the roots start to go down, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper the higher the plant gets. So now when it, when it comes up and the winds come, it's not going anywhere. The roots have you. That's what I said, those everlasting arms. He has you totally encircled. He's a seed keeper. He's watching over you. And so when you come out of that dirt, you're not going to just be like eaten by some animal, and the wind's not going to blow you away because your root system is strong. It got strong in the soil. You got strong while you were going through a hard time. And when you're going through it, you're just like, why, 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 right? But something good is happening. So this is germination. So when the Lord said, tell my people at NNC, it's a time of germination. All of that took me a long time. But that is what he's saying to us. So he's the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That's what we are to, to proclaim as our roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. Do not fall into the trap of discouragement. There is more going on than meets your eye. The Lord is doing something. Believe it, proclaim it. He lives to make intercession for you always, always. Isaiah 37, 31. This is an amazing scripture. My favorite today, Dawn. The surviving remnant... The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. He's saying, listen, you've been a captive. You've been through hell. You've been through death. You don't understand what's been happening. But I'm telling you, you are again going to sprout upward and your roots are going down deeper. And when you come out, you're going to glorify me. People are going to know that I, the Lord, am the one who has done it. So he is the seed keeper. He plants. We plant, we water. He causes the growth. He watches over his word to perform it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go digging that seed up. Don't look at it. Don't even talk about it. He watches over his seed to perform it. He's the anchor. He's the anchor of your soul. He holds you over the veil, over the throne room of God. In the Holy of Holies, he keeps you there. And the scripture that I wanted to read, Annie already read for us this morning, but we will read it again. Uh, I was going to read Psalm 1 also. It says, uh, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or sit in the paths of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. And whatever he does, his fruit will bear fruit in season, his leaves will not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. And the one Annie started with, we're going to end with, says this. Blessed is the man, if you want to put it up there, it's 17.7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Because your roots are in him. Your hope is in him. But greater than that, his hope is in you. He's for you. He's with you. Never believe the religious people. Never believe the religion. Religion starts to, it dampens you. It comes over you. You got to work for it. You got to grab hold of it. It's never going to work. It's so hard. There should be joy in our heart, right? There should be joy. There should be peace. And so you need to understand what the joy and the peace comes when you know he's for you and he's not going to let go of you. What he started, he will finish. Amen. Amen. Yes.